But I can't start off by looking at you because then I would laugh too hard. Mm-hmm. It's too hard to take it seriously whenever I have to look at you in the eyes when you take a deep breath and go, welcome back. <laughs> Welcome back to another episode of Is Fitz Happy? I'm Luke. And I'm Emma. And this week we're discussing Chapter 9, Assassin. Bum, bum, bum. <laughs> I really kind of want to count up all the times that we've done a bum, bum, bum or some <laughs> ominous noise before a chapter, <laughs> because I feel like it's over half of the episodes that we've done. Well, is it my fault that over half of the episodes we've done has had something ominous about to happen? <laughs> No, it's not. It's Robin Hobbs' fault, actually. Uh, yeah, so. <laughs> I'm also at fault for that, because I do it a lot, too. Well, it's like, I don't know. It just feels like Something suspense. that you gotta do, yeah. <laughs> the beginning part of this chapter goes over Galen and the Coteries, speaking specifically on... Uh, the Buckkeep did not have a skill master, a true skill master, in the castle or the keep since Solicity because Galen was only under her tutelage for two years and she had uh, already developed a cough that was going to kill her eventually and he was kind of rushed through as an apprentice and it's up for debate whether she picked him because she knew he was dying or she was dying, excuse me, or she picked him because Queen Desire forced him to be accelerated through the ranks of the nobles. So it's kind of up for debate there. Right. Also, it's pointed out that normally apprentices to skill masters are apprentices for at least seven years. And he was only an apprentice for two before she died. And he himself proclaimed himself to be the new skill master. So even though nobody really disputed it, it doesn't really bode well for his level of skill. It's actually a little bit different in here. It's not um, apprentice to skill master in seven years. It's yes. up to seven years to become a journeyman. Yes. And then a journeyman, right. like you have to take more time to become a skill master. So it's upwards, probably above seven years. But um, yeah, definitely not two years unless you're a sincere prodigy. And uh, I don't think Galen was. No. So. Yeah, so because he declared himself to be skill master and nobody opposed it, he was technically the last skill master, but... But he wasn't a true skill master. No. He also declared, when Solicity passed away, declared that Verdi and Chivalry's training was complete, even though they had only been training for, you know, a little bit, less than Galen had ever been training. Right. And so they have incomplete training. I should say kind of is unclear how long the time period is because just because Galen has been skill master or apprentice for two years doesn't mean that he's only been studying the skill for two years. Right. Yeah. So potentially they could have had more than a year and a half of training, but we really don't know. It's kind of left up for interpretation. Then they also get into the history of the coteries, uh, pertaining to Galen in particular, saying that, you know, traditionally they choose themselves and kind of form out of bonds. 
but Galen handpicked his own people and forced leadership. And they go through the history of, you know, uh, August was the previous one who got a skill blasted away from him. Then Serene died. <laughs> Justin died. Mm-hmm. Will assumed leadership of it. And the writer, who we can once again assume is Fitz when mm-hmm. he's older, says that it's probably likely that Galen skilled loyalty to Regal into all of them, but that does not mean they don't fight amongst themselves to be higher on the the ladder to For, Regal. Right. Also, I want to point out that it specifically says that Justin and Serene were killed in the riot that led to the discovery of King Shrew's oh, yeah, body. That followed the discovery, yeah. So no mention of murder or who did it (laughs) just there was a riot and they died which i thought was really interesting to kind of sweep under the rug what fitz had done because he's so proud of it or well i don't know if proud's the right word but he doesn't really shy away as we know him now from admitting it no but i think he also this is when he's older so i also feel like he's taken to heart what Chade has yelled at him saying Mm -hmm. that I taught you better than what you did that right. was reckless and you you had a thousands more tools than what you used there. Right. And you True. you know jeopardized the whole kingdom <laughs> for doing that basically. So he probably has a lot of guilt attached to that as well. True. About that time period and he's in and out of depression and skilling and pain in general, so he probably doesn't dwell on the good things or things that he's proud of Fair to enough. accomplish. Right. So I feel like brushing over anything that he feels like he achieved and it was good is probably an apt thing that he would do because he's like, I don't deserve any of this. Fair. Also, maybe he's trying to write himself out of history a little bit. Yeah. Kind of overcorrecting for him veering all (laughs) of his like tried histories into stories about himself. And he's like, well, I need to overcorrect and I just need to take myself out. Yeah, maybe. Um, Also, another thought I had while reading this is, did Serenity actually die from a sickness or was she poisoned? Yes, Solicity, sorry. I had that highlighted too. I'm not sure. And again, it's something that I don't think we will ever know. Right. And it's, it's an outcome that would have happened either way. We know she was very old. Mm hmm. But we also know Queen Desire did not scruple or hesitate to kill somebody to advance people that she liked. True. Or herself. So it is possible that Solicity was poisoned and then Galen was kind of shoved to her like, hey, teach him because... You're dying. Yeah, we need this knowledge passed along. So it's definitely not out of the realm of possibility, but it's something in two sentences that we learn and don't know any more about, really. Right. I just wonder about it because we know that she would know how to skill heal herself. And Mm -hmm. maybe because she's so old, doing that comes at too great of a cost. So, like, there wouldn't, there's not enough energy left for her to give to heal herself. Because I, I forget the semantics about the skill and all the points. Like, can you skill heal yourself? I thought you couldn't. Well, it's Fitz's 
Fitz's own skill that heals him as he ages so that he ages slower and doesn't take as much damage, kind of like... That's... I, I feel like that's... I saw a, a post on the Reddit recently about the skill and how it's... Uh, and it kind of filled in the gaps of what I've been thinking all along, but didn't really know how to vocalize that the skill is all about memory. Mm-hmm. And so with the silver on his fingertips, the fool remembered or forced Fitz's body to remember how he was all the time. So the skill always fought to go back to that original state of memory. Mm. So it's not necessarily Fitz himself, like, using the skill to heal himself. It's an overcorrection of what's going on. And remember that that healing went too far. He wasn't supposed to have that much skill. It wasn't supposed to be that imprinted on his body to heal all the time. Right. Because it takes a lot out of you, too. It does, yeah. That's why I was wondering if maybe healing yourself from a sickness or poison would be too much for somebody at an older age because there's not much left to give to heal. That's, uh, yeah. So I either that, I don't know if, since she was a skill master and we don't know a lot about the skill, if that was possible, that she could do it, but she couldn't because of her lifespan. Right. Or if she literally couldn't and didn't have any other skilled ones to heal her. Oh, yeah. Because Shrewd was there, but he didn't do anything. Right. Probably hasn't used his skill for decades (laughs) by the time he dies. So who knows? Yeah, we know he's weaker in the skill because of some incident in the past. Yeah. So interesting. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure either. Poison is a definite possibility, though. We know how the family loves to do that, so. <laughs> yes, yes. All of the Farseers in general, actually. So we get back to Fitz scouting out Tradeford uh, Hall, walking around the exterior, scoping it out, seeing what's going on. He finds it very easy because it's not a keep. <laughs> right. It's, it's a nice touristy city where you can just walk around the grounds because it's like a garden out there. <laughs> Essentially, he's walking around in Times Square and uh, Central Park. Yes, Central Park. Yeah. And, and being shocked. Kind of, and kind of dressed like a beggar still. So people are throwing him looks, but they're not going to tell him to leave. Right. Because he, he can be there. But the police are going to look at you sideways and like, hey, you should, you know, maybe head out. <laughs> right. And in fact, they do. Uh, one guard stops him to show him the fastest way out of the garden. And Fitz apologizes, saying that he had heard so much of the greatness of this city and he just wanted to experience it for himself. And the guard tells him that hearing of the tale should be good enough for his ilk. So they don't really like him. Well, (laughs) they don't really like beggars in this area. Right, yes. But he's able to scout it out pretty much the whole night and day and you know he's, he's looking for weaknesses learn seeing what he can learn he also notices the fashion going on he notes that at some points he wishes he could just knock out a nobleman to steal his clothes but because of the fashion of the time there are so many laces and bells that it would be hard to put the clothes on himself without a valet so that is not really an option He's trying to get closer, and he gets up to the keep a little bit, to the main walls and the gates to try to get a little bit more information. He sees a guard that is familiar. Uh, One guard turned and laughed harshly. 
the hair stood up on my neck. For a time, I stood frozen, staring from my place of concealment. Had I seen his face before? It was difficult to tell at my distance, but the thought roused a strange mixture of fear and anger in me. Regal, I reminded myself. Regal was my target. I moved on. So seeing some of these guards in these pharaohmen outfits and everything, and possibly seeing some familiar faces, really is bringing back a lot of those memories that he thought he had gotten over. And he's, he's gotten over them, you know, much more than we saw him a few chapters ago. Right. But it's still enough to freeze him in his tracks for a little bit because they're traumatic memories and maybe that guard was one of those surrounding him when he was getting beaten in the dungeons. Right. I am of the opinion that it probably was somebody he knew and that the laugh would be enough to remember him by. I mean, I think that time period is pretty sketched into his brain. Right. Every little detail because of his assassin's training, he would be able to remember every little detail. And so I'm sure this is somebody he is far away, so he can't see their face. But I'm I'm pretty sure this is somebody he, quote unquote, knows. Yeah. yeah. Or remembers from that time. <laughs> right. He positions himself near a smaller gate where a lot of delivery people and servants were going in and out um, being questioned by the guards. And he sets himself up as a beggar, mutely approaching people with his hands out. And Hob makes a mention in here and Fitz makes a mention in here that like most people to beggars, they just kind of ignored him and moved on, but kept talking. So he learns a lot about what's going on. Right. And it's interesting because we're seeing Fitz really use his brain for the first time in a while. Um, using his assassin training more specifically. He is looking at how people are dressed around him. He is looking at how they're reacting to him. He is using all the knowledge in his wheelhouse to know how to best get information in the state and what to do next. So a little bit impressive, but also sad that this is what it's come to. (laughs) He learns a lot of different details, um, you know, about different drugs that Regal now prefers, that this is Regal's last night in Tradeford before he goes on a holiday up the river to a different hall, things like that. There's a big ball tonight. Also that a local tailor, or I guess tradesman, Festro, had brought him horribly low-quality yellow silk and that Regal had threatened to flog the merchant for bringing it in front of him. So he gets lots of information. Yep, and he takes that information, goes to Tradeford, the main city, and goes to Festro's shop and buys a few bolts of yellow silk from a uh, apprentice out the back and a few scraps, not bolts, excuse me. Yes, bolts, bolts is a proper is a, term. Yes. And a lot of <laughs> a yes. lot of fabric. And then goes to uh, he says the humblest shop on the street where every coin I possessed was just sufficient to purchase loose trousers, a smock, and a headkerchief, just as the apprentice had been wearing at Festro's shop. So he's poised to uh, mimic an apprentice for Festro, bringing these different shades of yellow silk scraps up to the keep, and he joins the line to get into the gates to Tradeford Hall to bluff his way in past the guards as he's 
making his way back and pretends to be, well, you know, I'm Festro's apprentice, bringing him other samples, so maybe he'll be happy with these. Right. I do want to also mention that for the second time, Fitz is extremely scared of moving forward, but then reminds himself that ultimately getting revenge on Regal is the goal here, and he needs to work through the fear. I bring this up because later, Will has a big impact on getting Fitz to come to him. And there is a little bit of questioning of how long Will has been persuading Fitz. And I'm wondering if these little instances of big fear that almost leads to Fitz turning away and then deciding, never mind, I'm going to ignore it, is Will? Or if it's just fear that Fitz is stubbornly fighting against. I think some of them might be, but this one I don't think is Will at all. It's just his heart hammered inside his ribs because he's standing in line to get into a gate and he has to talk to feral guards. Right. (laughs) He hasn't done that for a long time. Right, no. So I think it's just that for this instance. But we can talk about the other ones when they pop up. Right. For sure. But... He does get through the guards because he tells them that the reason it is him there instead of Festro is because his master, Festro, said his back would be better for taking the beating, which makes the guards smile and let him in enthusiastically. So a little gross, but Fitz uses his knowledge to get in. Oh, yeah, so. he knows how to play that. <laughs> yeah. He knows who Regal is, and his guards know who Regal is. True. He gets into Tradeford Hall and finds himself in a small sitting room eventually. He, he kind of veers off from the path and gets to a small spot that is unoccupied and waits. He inspects his poisons, and he treats his belt knife and sword's edge with poison Rishis them carefully and wears his sword on the outside now because he was wearing it in his trousers before and just waits and thinks, waiting for the night to fall, basically. He talks about how he passes the time by imagining how Regal would kill him if he caught him. And this causes him to almost lose his courage. But he reminds himself that if I walked away from this, I would have to live with fear forever. Instead, I tried to prepare myself. This is this is what I wanted to talk about with what you brought up before, because mm-hmm. this seems... It, it's, it's almost characteristic of Fitz, mm-hmm. but to dwell on it for hours on end and imagine different ways seems a little in excess in my mind. But we've seen Fitz do things like this before, <laughs> so I'm, I wasn't completely sketched out by it. But this seems more in line with there's a general fear sense being kind of pressed on him or like a, a drive to you need to finish it now kind of thing. Right. I think the fear is coming from a genuine place. I don't think Will would bother with fear. Maybe. But... I think that's coming from his PTSD and just general discomfort at this whole situation. And that Will is using that to say, well, it'll always be this way if you don't fix it now. He's just using what's already there. If it is Will, we don't know. We never know as far as I'm aware. 
But I don't think the th- dwelling about Regal for this long is that unrealistic to me just because of how close he is to Regal for the first time since his death. Mm-hmm. But I think the turn into I have to do this could potentially be Will. Right. Yeah. There's just something something there is just a little off, but not enough to like say, oh, this is for sure. In right. my mind, at least. Right. Which is how the skill works. Right. So it yeah. could be. I don't know. <laughs> so it's going to be a very tinfoil hat-y episode. <laughs> <laughs> he goes through some exercises to shield his mind, just kind of trying to keep his mind off these things, but keep, keeping... Uh, in mind that he's going over the different ways that Regal might kill him. <laughs> right. Trying to steal himself to doing this anyways. And finally, when the sky outside the window was full black and pricked with stars, he slipped out from his hiding place and ventured out into, into the hallway. He hears the festivities kind of permeating through the keep and walks down the corridors looking for the place where Regal might sleep. So he's in a simple corridor now. He peeks into some rooms, hears folk within. He knows this isn't the place, so he keeps moving on. He sees uh, a room, work rooms for the most part, with several given over to weaving and sewing. In one, a suit of fine blue fabric was pieced out on a table ready for sewing and kind of is keeping in mind the details that, oh, Regal still likes fine clothes. A lot of these are literally for sewing clothes or right. a bunch of instruments or, and, and like couches and things like that, just sitting rooms. Right. Which is pretty excessive of Regal. Like, I get that Regal is the pro- height of opulence. It's but, probably not all for Regal. Let's be well, honest. No. There's probably lots of nobles living there. But also, I wouldn't. Be surprised if it was mostly for real. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised either, but... But I am surprised that he is having a blue suit made because blue is the farcier color. Yeah. And he seems to sort of want to distance himself from the farcier's, although at the same time wants to brandish himself as one. It seems like he himself is very conflicted on the idea of if it's better to drop the farcier name altogether or keep it. Right, yeah. So I thought that was an interesting turmoil that we get a little peek at that potentially points to maybe Regal having a conscience. Because yeah, he's the he's the Montwell king, but his crest keeps the farcier buck leaping mm-hmm. over the tree of Montwell or whatever it is. Right. As it's described later. So he, he keeps some attachment to the farcier's. But yeah, there, there might be a little bit of conflict there. Maybe just to... You know, not fully distance himself from the coastal duchies at all. It's like, oh, I'm still a farseer king. We're just in trade for in the inner duchies now, so I'll reaffirm I'm, you know, super royal from both lines. Right. I don't know. And it makes more sense that the inner duchies would call him the Montwell king if that's the royal family that they've been used to their whole history. Right. It it does make sense. It just feels like one of those things that. I don't know why he would keep the name. Right, right. I don't know. He doesn't seem to care. <laughs> but maybe he does have a conscious. I don't know. Very unlikely, but... So Fitz is walking through these corridors, finds one that's slightly wider, slightly finer, keeps following these 
these traces of opulence to get to a very nice and ornate proper hallway with framed portraits and all of this, these kinds of things. He does mention that the place is so opulent that he needs to stop and stare for a moment just because of how grand it is. He's never been anywhere this beautiful in his life. And that's so interesting because he is, he is a bastard, but he has been raised as a royal. And so to see the stark difference between an inner duchy and an outer duchy would be very strange, I'm sure. Yeah, definitely. So he stumbles into an antechamber of some sort where he can distinctly hear the music and the conversations coming through a set of double doors on one end. He's looking around. There's, you know, nobles dancing and laughing behind those double doors. And he is just looking at the servants, you know, entering from another door on his left. And he's just kind of staring at all of this, wondering what to do at this point, because he kind of just blunders into this room. Right. At the end of one of these hallways. And then all of a sudden, someone behind him says, what What do you hear? Hear H-E-R-E. Yeah. What, like, what, what do, do you, you hear? hear? Yeah. Like, basically, what are you doing here? Yeah. But. Probably, like, sup- I think she's trying her hand at a little Twain, Mark Twain-esque <laughs> accent or dialect. Oh. Yeah, maybe. Just like a a local, you know, uh-huh. affectation mm-hmm. of speech. I what do you hear? I think she tries every once in a while, but I don't necessarily think it's her strong suit. No, I think it gets lost Yeah, after a little bit here. Fitz has a moment of fear because he's been found out. He turns and just says, oh, I've, I'm, I'm lost in this maze of a of a place or whatever. But the guard is is not having any of it. Because Fitz is wearing a sword. (laughs) Yep. So he's like, all no weapons are forbidden save to the king's own guard. I saw you sneaking about just then. Did you think with the merrymaking going on, you could just slip about and fill your pockets with whatever you found, thief? I stood frozen with terror, watching the man approach me. I am sure he believed he had discovered my purpose from the stricken look on my face. Verde would never have smiled so if he thought he advanced on a man he had helped beat to death in a dungeon. So this is Verde, one of those named guards that we had that beat him. He's the one that hit him after he had already been beat down to the ground. Yeah. So way worse. (laughs) And also, this makes me question... You know, maybe Fitz does look unrecognizable as he is now. Yeah. I was very skeptical last chapter that anybody who had ever seen Fitz would be able to not tell who he was because he had a crooked nose and was skinny. But this guy literally beat him to death a year, less than a year ago, mm-hmm. and has no idea, and he's looking right at him. And even more so because Fitz's hair is covered, so it's not like the white streak of gray is giving him away or like giving him more cover. It's literally just his face. Mm -hmm. So maybe I was wrong. (laughs) (laughs) You don't expect somebody who's dead. I suppose that's true. 
And so he, he remembers what Verde did and what had happened in that. And he remembers the oath, the oaths that Verde had laughingly uttered each time that he had to haul me to my feet so he could hit me again. By Ida's tits, I murdered to myself, and with the words, fear died in me. And now he's, he's back. He, he had fear that rooted him to place, thinking back on these memories, like, this is one of the men that did it to me. Like, he's just coming towards me to do it again. I'm caught. Mm-hmm. Everything is done. And he realizes now, with that fear dying, that he can't get caught. He couldn't get away with his smooth words or lying or anything like that. It just was simple enough, and he had to kill him. Right. Well, especially because Verde is now asking to see what's in the pouch. Yeah, and it's poison. just poison. <laughs> so no smooth talking yourself out of that. And Fitz settles on killing him. So he backs up, luring Verde away from this main hall. And eventually sidesteps him as Verde lunges, as Fitz baits him in, and slices him across the throat. But as he does so... Fitz stands over him, looking down into his eyes and saying, Fitz chivalry, I told him quietly. Fitz chivalry. His eyes widened in sudden understanding and terror, then lost all expression as life left him. So quickly it was done. Vengeance. I stood looking down at him, waiting to feel triumph or relief or satisfaction. Instead, I felt nothing felt as lost to all life as he was. He was not even meat I could eat. He wonders if there's a woman or kids waiting for his wages to help feed them and realizes that's not a very assassin way of thinking. He also comments that it was easier when King Shrewd was the one telling him to kill someone because then he didn't have to think about what happened to the family. Right. Fitz realizes he made a huge mess in the hall now. There's a lot of blood pooling. Yep. So he has to make the decision to either leave him there, try to hide him. What's what's he going to do? What's going to happen with that? So he takes off his shirt, tries to mop up the blood, drags Verde into a next room that has a bunch of uh, ponds in it. It's a type of gaming room. We kind of skipped over the description, but there's a lot of exotic birds. There's a couple ponds and tables for gaming potentially some type of gambling, um, but it was empty. It also made me think of uh, Asheval, that there's like a room there that ha- is described as having a pond. Oh, um, as Lovejal? As Lovejal. The Ice City, the Elderling one? Yes. Whenever he's... I don't remember that. I don't know. It's like a weird, distinct memory I have of him walking. Maybe it's this memory, and I've just placed it in Asheval. Hmm. I can never... As Lovejal. Yeah. <laughs> I only remember the room, I mean, I I don't remember the descriptions that well, but I only remember the room with a bunch of statues in it. And they're all, like, kind of broken because right. the pale woman had done that. Mm. I I thought there was also a garden room that was more like a bo- indoor botanical garden, I think. Maybe. But it has similar imagery in my mind as this indoor. Was that, was that at Kelsingra when they activated the city? Or is that Eslo Shaw? I don't know. I, will, <laughs> I don't know either. It was, it's we'll a tangent. <laughs> yeah. 
So he tries to clean up as, as best as he can, but he leaves a sheen of trail of blood on the hallway floor. He dumps the body into a pond, washes himself. He doesn't have a shirt now. And he's hoping that if they did, when they did find him, the body, they'd take some time to puzzle out why the killer had dumped him in that pond. Right. So. So he takes off maybe, to the. Maybe buy himself some time. Yes. He takes off to the left, um, which is the opposite direction of the way he dragged him. And in the next room, there is someone else entering. And it is a group of young noble people. They have a servant swinging some incense around them. So they they continuously walk through quote, the smoke. Quote unquote incense. Yes. <laughs> and he stays really still. And like dinosaurs, they do not see him because he does not move. <laughs> <laughs> They're also very intoxicated and very interested in their own conversations and things. Right. And he thinks... That even if he was doing cartwheels in front of them, they would not notice him. Right. Also, he thinks he's going to be safe because they're going into the room with the dead body in it that he just left. And because they're all so intoxicated, they probably won't notice the body. I mean, he literally was shirtless, pressed up against the wall, just not moving. And they didn't see him walk <laughs> like when they were walking past. So honestly, True. I might make the same assumption. As <laughs> Fair enough. But I feel like this pond has to be like some sort of focal point. And why wouldn't they go straight to the pond? I don't know. Whatever. It doesn't matter. <laughs> they are very intoxicated. It's a fair assumption. This uh, this chapter is is actually one of my favorites in this book. Mainly because it gives me the feeling like I, I like to play video games a lot and I really like stealth video games. And this gives me a feeling of like, oh, he's on a mission. And at this point, I'd probably either follow them in and kill them all so they didn't find the dead body or <laughs> I would restart the level or something, you know. I would have restarted the level when Verde <laughs> caught me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Fitz. It is definitely, I think, the most vibrant in mental picture yes there's for me. tons of description in this chapter actually this it is the longest of, chapter we've ever read actually right. and it kind of makes me realize how little description there is at other points and maybe that's just because we're supposed to have the bare feeling of util I, utilitarianism yeah um I, I think you're right actually i think it's a stylistic choice of there's not much to describe in buckkeep and then all of a sudden he's here and, and it's, it's beautiful and opulent, and there are rooms full of more vellums of scrolls than he even knew existed. Mm -hmm. And it's crazy. It, everything is more beautiful than the last, and there's so many descriptors, and my brain is like, can we just take some time to, like, explore the castle more? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe don't murder anybody, Fitz, but I know that is not something we can do. And so he keeps moving on, tries to, you know, move past that to, to get away from them a little bit and finds himself in the main room with the main staircase, main entrance here. And again, there's a lot of description about it. You know, all was illuminated with ornate candelabra, with sparkling crystals suspended from gilded chains hundreds of candles burned in them statues were displayed on pedestals and intervals around the room and it, it's all 
super opulent. He sees this main staircase and it's not, you know, the back alley, back room servant staircase that he wanted to find. But, you know, this is what he has, so he starts to make his way up it. And halfway up, he notices a scream, or hears a scream. So evidently they did see and find the dead body floating in the pond. And he starts, uh, starts hauling, uh, hauling up those steps. Takes a left, I believe, because he hears voices to the right. Puts his ear to a door quick, opens and closes it because he didn't hear anything, and kind of breathes heavily in and out because he just avoided some people. <laughs> right. And is hiding from whatever guards are going to be coming to look. Right. He also gets out of the opening of the door so that if somebody were to open the door and peek in, they wouldn't immediately see him. Right. And then is immediately overcome with fear, debilitating fear even. Fear welled up in me like a sudden blackness, threatening to overwhelm me. I felt the floor rock under me, and I crouched down quickly to keep from falling in a faint. The world spun about me. I made myself small, hugging myself tight and squeezing my eyes shut, as if somehow that would better conceal me. A second wave of fear washed over me. I sank the rest of the way to the floor and fell over on my side, all but whimpering. I curled in a ball, enduring a terrible squeezing pain in my chest. I was going to die. I was going to die and I'd never see them again. Not Molly, not Burek, not my king. I should have gone to Verity. I knew that now. I should have gone to Verity. I wanted to scream and weep, for I was suddenly certain I could never escape, that I would be found and tortured. They would find me and kill me very, very slowly. I experienced an almost overwhelming drive to simply leap up and run out of the room, to draw swords against the guards and force them to end me quickly. Steady now. They try to trick you into betraying yourself. Verity's skilling was finer than a cobweb. I caught my breath, but had the wisdom to keep still. So, real quick, this kind of raises the question of the efficiency. I know. It was like real fast. (laughs) Yeah, of the skill coterie. Also, how did they know that somebody's murdered so quickly? Like, I know that how the people who found the body knew so quickly, but how did the coterie know? Well, first of all, we don't know. This could be another Robin Hobb time thing. We don't know how long that passes before fear hits him. That's true. He could be sitting in there for a couple minutes. Also, later on in the chapter, we get... Will riding with one of the guardsmen. So maybe the coterie members are just riding in some of the captains of the guard and get all that's relayed to the guard, you know? Right. Get all that information immediately. Maybe somebody was riding with Verde. Possibly, but I don't think so. Right. They would have been looking before then, then. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. But I also wonder why Fitz's walls don't seem to work at all. I mean, to some extent, they work, but he's still feeling the effect and he is still later tricked. So I wonder, is it just impossible to fully shut yourself off from the skill or is it because he has so little training? We don't know how it works. I I I don't I have no idea, but I think it does work. 
Because otherwise, I think he would have just rushed out if he didn't have That's walls. That's fair, yeah. Because also, there's yeah. a conversation right after this with uh, Carrot and Burl that if there was anybody here, they would have come out. Right. They're very confident in that. Right. I just wonder, because Verity talks to him, I know it's very quietly, but he talks to him in this moment. Maybe the fear makes his walls come down a little or something. I don't know. Verity's still in his head and riding with him. Remember that. That's true. So he he's not keeping Verity out by putting walls up. He's already voluntarily riding with Fitz. I suppose, yeah. Interesting. I don't know. And so, as I mentioned before, Carrot and Burl are outside of Fitz's door in that corner. Fitz doesn't know it's them yet, but they sit here and talk about it a little bit. First man says, I was sure of it, said a man. No, he's long gone. If they find him at all, they'll find him out on the grounds. No one could have stood up to both of us. If he were still in the house, he would have. we, we would have flushed him out. And I think the I was sure of it is them feeling Verity skill. Right. He was sure of something was still there, you know? So they argue back and forth a little bit. You know, it's a waste of time. He must have run out. No, there's something here. We should tell Will. No... You're going to look spineless and the fool in front of him. There's obviously uh, some sort struggle. of... Yeah, power struggle and rivalry in between all of them. Mm-hmm. In particular, these two and Will. Because Will is the leader at this point And right. obviously has Regal's ear. And openly disparages them to Regal. And all of this, Fitz realizes... Um, he says, the wine was unmistakable now. Burl, I suddenly realized. Burl speaking to Carid. Also, it's pretty funny because the wine he's hearing is about how, well, if I don't have the body of a soldier, it's because it's not my body that services the king. It's my mind. And I'm not a soldier. <laughs> Which is so funny. I don't know. Something about that is very funny to me. It's also very interesting because... Yeah, we know Burl was bigger when he was first into training. Right. But during training, Galen, you know, enforces that very limited lifestyle. Right. And diet. And he lost a lot of weight. And now he seems to be gaining it back. Yes. Also, he was a carpenter's apprentice. So he was big in the sense of, like, big muscular dude. Yeah. Not necessarily on the chunky side, which... Would be fine, too. <laughs> but, yeah, things have definitely changed since Fitz was last with this coterie. And so Carrot is responding back. You know, I'm satisfied that tonight at least he cannot fault us. There is nothing amiss here that I can find. He has you jumping at shadows and seeing danger in every corner. Calm yourself. So... Carrot is basically trying to convince Burl, like, hey, quit. There's nothing wrong here. We're fine. And they kind of part ways after Carrot says, you'd only end up looking like a fool if you told Burl this, or told Will this, excuse me. Right. So, you know, let him mouth his warnings and dire predictions and spend every moment of his life on guard. To hear him tell it, his watchfulness is all the king needs. He seeks to instill that fear in us. Your quaking probably gives him much satisfaction. Guard such thoughts carefully. So Carrot walks away briskly, and it takes a little bit for Burl to walk away. 
because right. he's still wants to bring attention like something is wrong here it's not just like carrot says a an ex-lover or you know something that went awry this i think this something's actually wrong right well carrot did speculate that it's because verde had some debts or that he wins too much at the gaming table yeah. that's why he was found in the gaming room so he's trying to brush this off very easily but we do get a peek into what life is like in Regal's court directly affecting Regal. And it seems like Will is playing into Regal's fears. Regal is somebody very susceptible to fears of any kind. Mostly, I think, when it comes to losing power. But I think Will uses that to his advantage to keep himself on top by feeding him conspiracy theories and more things to fear to keep him more agreeable to say, well, look, I can take care of it all because most of it probably isn't real. Mm -hmm. So I thought that was really interesting. And Will tries to do that same thing on the two other Coterie members as well. Yes. So Fitz sits there quietly looking at his surroundings, taking that in, having his fear calm down a little bit once he realizes he was that close to the Coterie, or at least two members of the Coterie. And he's sitting there, looking around, sees a wardrobe. And he's thinking, well, stealth had got him this far, but perhaps it was time to be bolder now. Luck was with him. This was a man's chambers. He finds a shirt, puts it on, and, uh, and walks out into the hallway once again looking for Regal's bedchambers. He steps out into the light, and he's not pleased to find the leggings were a dark green and the shirt was a buttery yellow. (laughs) So another fashion comment here. Yes. But he resolutely sets the worry aside of not being able to blend in and strikes off down the hall, which... First of all, this whole idea that now is the time to be bold feels weird to me. Yeah. Fitz is not a now's the time to be bold kind of guy. I think the only exception to that is when he killed Serene and Justin. Mm -hmm. And that was at the death of his grandfather in front of him. So I really feel like at the very (sighs) least, this is the start of Will. I don't. I don't know if I agree with that take on Fitz. Oh, no. He's oftentimes the, now it's time to be bold, like charging headfirst into battles. But He's He rushes into danger recklessly. He often does things like that, though. I agree that he rushes into danger recklessly, but I think every time he does it, he thinks that he is being secretive and that he has a plan and that, like... I won't get caught. There's some, I feel like there's more behind it than just, well, time to be bold. I don't feel like, in my opinion, in my reading of Fitz, he's ever the, I'm doing this to be bold, and that's the easiest way to do this sort of thing. I feel like he's always trying to be like, well, justify it in some way of like, well, Chade taught me this weird thing, and so I'm going to apply that now, and that's why this will work. This is more like, gotta go. Gotta go be out in the open and look around after I just was almost caught. So I don't know. I just, 
something about it feels different. I don't know. I, I still kind of stick with at least my thoughts that this action doesn't seem that out of place. I think it's described mm-hmm. differently right. than what he normally does. But I, I don't think this sort of action is, in my mind, out of place for Fitz. I think the way it's described differently is why it sticks out to me. Because I think had it, I don't know, had it not been described this way, it wouldn't be that weird to me that Fitz would change clothes and then go back out. But something about the wit, this whole like being bold thing is really sticking to me and I cannot let it go. All right. That's just my opinion. You might be right, but. So he exits out and he's looking for, you know, a room or a door that's going to be way more ornate than all the others because he really wants to find Regal's place. He's contrasting all of the uh, the stark stone walls of Buckkeep to the rich tapestries and portraits of Tradeford Hall here still. He's wondering how many warships would have been built and manned with a coin that instead went to ornament this finely feathered nest. My anger fed my competence. I would find Regal's chamber. So he's passing all these doors and finally finds uh, a double door of golden oak, and the oak tree that was the symbol of Pharaoh was inlaid upon it. It's locked, so he uses his knife to open it up, slip inside, and lock it behind him. He says, this was certainly Regal's chamber. Not his bedchamber, no, but his nonetheless. I went through it swiftly. I also had that highlighted because it seemed weird to me. You think so? Yes. He's very certain he this door is standing out to him. I don't, again, I don't know when Will starts. This feels fishy. And it seems like a dressing room where also we know on the second floor and there are a couple more floors above that Fitz later tries to go to. Are there a couple floors up above? At least one more. And he thinks an attic for the servants. Mm. So because later he talks about going to the third floor because surely he'd be there. But right now I'm pretty sure he's still on the second floor. My thought is if there was a main staircase and it goes up only to the second floor, why would Regal go higher if the main staircase is there and he would have to go up a separate staircase to get to the third? I think the staircase goes all the way up to the third. There are just branches off of it. You think so, huh? Yes. The way I imagine this staircase is like a big open hall with one main staircase in the middle going up three, maybe four floors, but with hallways going to the main staircase at Mm. each level. By hallways, I mean like paths with little short like railings. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I'm trying to describe it better for listeners, but I'm pretty sure he's on the second floor and he knows it's only to the second floor because he he thinks he's going to jump out, you know, a window at one point and it's only going to be one story, that sort of thing. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't think Will has got to him quite yet. And I I kind of believe his assessment that this might be Regal's room. Because Will is very swift when he realizes what happens in the next scene. Right. So I feel like 
while Will could have been manipulating him to come closer to Tradeford Hall and like confront them to draw him out, I don't think he is minutely manipulating Fitz through this whole thing. And I think Fitz actually does find, you know, a dressing chamber for Regal at this point. That's fair. And as Fitz is looking around this chamber with all of these, you know, garments on hooks and racks uh, or draped on chairs, small chests that probably held jewelry, looking glass between the wardrobes, all of these different things, a smokes, two small sensors for smoke. Fitz gets a little thought from Verity in his mind. Fitz, what do you do? Justice. I put no more than a breath of skill into the thought. I was not sure if it was my own or Verity's apprehension that I suddenly felt. I brushed it aside and turned to my task. It's obviously Verity's apprehension. Yes. I mean, also, it could be Fitz's as well, but in that moment, (laughs) Verity is like, hey, what are you doing? Maybe don't do that, yeah. (laughs) So Fitz is looking around for the best place to apply all of his poisons, and he applies them, all his multiple different poisons, in multiple different places. Right. He does start out by saying how frustrating it is because a lot of it isn't going to do any good. If he puts it in the hair pomade, then it'll probably just kill the person doing Regal's hair. And if he puts it in the sensor, it'll likely get thrown out with, with the ashes. The ash. Yeah. So he's really got to think hard about what he's going to do. Yeah. So he's saying, you know, his bedchamber could not be far and opportunities would be better there. So for now, he just treats some things. Bristles of the hairbrush and dips as many earrings as he could. Uh, Last drops he added to vials of scent, hoping that Regal would overindulge and have enough on his skin to kill him. He puts... some powder on scented handkerchiefs and also he says I took great greater pleasure in dusting the insides of four sets of gloves with dead root powder this was the poison regal had used on me in the mountains and the most likely source of the seizures that had plagued me intermittently since then I hoped he would find his own falling fits as amusing as mine had been so that's like one of the uh, the darker lines in here yeah. Hope he found his fits as amusing as he had found mine. Yeah. It's a little rough. But that's what he's here for. That's like... Yeah, he wants to get his yeah. revenge. Poisons the inside of three of the shirts as well, the collars. Just in case. Yeah. He's really trying to spread out the opportunity that some of this poison will get to Regal, knowing that most of it isn't enough to actually kill him. Right. It would just make him uncomfortable for a while which i don't know i feel like couldn't that be enough isn't that good enough vengeance you already know killing people doesn't make you feel any better so let's just call it a day we'll just leave it here (laughs) and be on our merry way but no that is not how fitz is and before he can leave someone else joins him in the room yes it's another guardsman in regal's colors The man pushed into the room and cast a quick glance about. His irritation showed in his face as he impatiently said, It was locked. There's no one in here. I waited for his partner to reply, but he was alone. He stood still for a moment, then sighed and walked over to the open wardrobe. 
Foolishness. I'm wasting time up here while he's going to get away. He muttered to himself, but he drew his sword and carefully prodded about the interior behind the clothes. As he leaned to reach deeper into the wardrobe's interior, I caught a glimpse of his face in the mirror opposite me. My guts turned to water, and then hatred blazed up in me. I had no name for this one, but his mocking face had been forever etched into my memory. He had been a part of Regal's personal guard and had stood by to witness my death. The guard sees him in the reflection as well, but before he can fully react, Fitz is on him with his knife and guts him, kills him too, saying his name, Fitz Chivalry, Fitz Chivalry. And for the second time that night, Fitz cuts a throat and he wipes the knife on the sleeve as he on Fitz's sleeve as he dies. As he stands up, Fitz feels two things. Disappointment that he had died so swiftly, and a sensation as if a harp string had been plucked, letting out a sound I felt rather than heard. In the next instant, I felt a wave of skill inundate me. It was laden with terror, but this time I recognized it for what it was and knew its source. I stood firm before it, my defenses strong. I almost felt it part and go around me. Yet I sensed that even that act was read by someone somewhere. I did not wonder who. Will felt the shape of my resistance. I felt the echo of his surge of triumph. For a moment it froze me with panic. Then I was moving. Will had been riding with the guardsman's mind. So I want to go over the last few instances before we move on here. Right. First of all, we have Fitz going into the room and getting skilled by Verity and answering back. This alerts Will that skilling has gone on in this room. It takes time for him to ride with this guardsman or direct this guardsman to the chamber or locate that source. Right. So Fitz has time to poison everything, but before Fitz can leave, this guardman is directed by Will to this place, who, and Will is telling him to check that out because there is something here. Right, which also gives us insight to the skill that when it's used, a trained enough user is able to pinpoint where it is coming from. Or maybe the time it took was the guardsman checking a lot of the rooms along this place. That could be true too, but... It probably narrowed it down. Yeah. It isn't, it can't have taken that much time. I mean, maybe an hour tops to do all the things he was doing. Right. Which I guess is a lot of time, but doesn't feel like enough time to have searched all of the floors. Right, right, <laughs> right. And so he enters in and is responding to Will talking in his head, saying, it was locked, there's no one in here, waits for the response. Despite the guardsman's irritation, he continues in. And saying, this is foolishness, I'm wasting time up here while he's going to get away. So he knew Will suspects that mm-hmm. Fitz is the one here. Or, you know, some skilled one or something. Right. Or they're assuming that the killer is just a male. <laughs> I'm sure they're just assuming that the killer is a male. <laughs> and he's responding to Will in his head. And they see each other in the mirror when... Fitz kills the guardsman, it snaps the connection with Will, but Will knows and recognized and looked through the guardsman's eyes into the mirror, into Fitz's face. Right. He knows Fitz is here. And then pinpoints him with the skill after that. Right. But do you think the thought about 
being disappointed in how quickly the guard dies is Will or Fitz? I think it's I think it's Fitz. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, I, I he's disappointed how fast the guard dies. And I I really think Fitz is in a terribly dark place right now. Right. As evidence of, you know, what he has been doing to poison things around him and saying this is justice that needs to be done and, and hyping right. himself up to do all this. And I, I really think it's him just hitting rock bottom at this point with his morals That's and his fair. justification for revenge. Definitely fair. I just find it such a stark difference from the last death that was, I'm waiting for, to feel something this should feel good. Why don't I feel like I did anything? And now it's like, oh, that was over so quick. Which, it just feels like such a drastic change, and it hasn't been that much time between for him to become a bloodthirsty killer. It just feels very dark, and I know Fitz isn't a perfect person. He's not a perfect hero, and that he has flaws, and that a lot of this is really dark and traumatic for him. It just feels weird to go from the moral lesson of killing people as revenge doesn't make you actually feel any better to darn wish that lasted longer. <laughs> I don't know. It just was weird to me. Yeah. That it's possible that it was Regal's connect or not Regal Will's connection being severed and kind of projecting that feeling out. Right. It's possible. Not that I'm saying that Will would have wanted this guard to be tortured. I think it was more of like, like oh, I didn't get to learn. Yeah, yeah, I didn't get to learn more. Yeah. I could see that. 100% I could see that. But maybe it's also just Fitz. I don't know. You Like you said, he is after this room in a pretty dark spot. So Fitz can sense Will skilling out, sending the guards out and in motion as if he were setting dogs to a fox's trail. So Fitz flees. Will knows he's within the mansion. It's only a matter of time, Fitz thinks, before he is caught. They're going to block off every exit, begin a systematic search. He's going to get found. And there's no way he's surrendering or letting them have him. So he's thinking as a last-ditch effort, he would take his own life first. He races on, past doors... Uh, more statuary, flowers, more hangings. He says every door he tried was locked, turned another corner, and was suddenly back at the top of the staircase. I felt a moment of dizzy disorientation. I attempted to brush it off, but panic rose like a black tide inside my mind. It appeared to be the same staircase. I know I had not turned enough corners to have come back to it. I hurried past the staircase, past the doors again, hearing the shouts of the guardsmen below me as knowledge grew and squirmed queasily inside me. Will leaned on my mind. Dizziness and pressure inside my eyes. So Will is influencing him here. And we know, all of us know listening to this, that Will is beguiling him, telling him that he is taking directions that he is not, that... Things appear differently than they actually are right. in reality. And he's leading Fitz to him at this point. Yes. It is also super disorienting as the reader. 
this castle as a whole is kind of hard to grasp in a mental map sort of thing for me. That also could be because I'm terrible with directions anyway. So trying to form a mental map of a place I've never been pretty hard. But up until this point, there's a lot of hallways and doors going through doorways and more hallways. Yep. And so it already has a kind of feel of like this place maze is huge. Yes. And hugeness. And yeah. So now Fitz's mind is being messed with and it's getting even more confusing. Is he turning? Is he not turning? Where actually is he? Fitz doesn't truly know, but he's catching on a little bit that something is wrong. Yeah, definitely. And and he's kind of thinking on what Verdi did to the Red Ship Raider captains to steer them wrong. And he's wondering, how long had Will been working on me? Had he lured me here for this encounter by suddenly convincing me that he would never expect me to come? And so he's he's forcing himself to halt, to get his bearings a little bit, to try a door. He opens it up, and it is a, uh, a workroom with blue fabric set out on a table before him, ready for sewing. I'd been in this room before. I knew a moment of relief, then checked it. No. This room had been on the ground floor. I was upstairs, wasn't I? I crossed quickly to the window, stood to one side of it as I peered out. Far below me were the torchlit grounds of the King's Gardens. I could see the white of the Great Drive gleaming in the night. Carriages were coming up it, and liveried servants darted here and there, opening doors. All this I took in a glance and realized that I was up a lot higher than I thought. Yet I had been sure that this table and the blue garments waiting to be sewn had been down in the servants' wing of the ground floor. Well, it was not at all that unlikely that Regal would be having two different sets of blue clothes sewn. No time to puzzle about it, I had to find his bedchamber. I felt a strange elation as I slipped out of the room and fled once more down the hallway, a thrill not unlike that of a good hunt. Let them catch me if they could. This is a very odd scene. Yes. Because that is the same room that he saw earlier, that I that was described earlier. Yes. Because, as we find out later, he was directed down to the first floor, the ground floor. And he probably did open up the same hallway. Yeah. Which also means that he has gone back through the game chamber and the past all these other rooms he's just walked through and not even noticed. Or down a different way that he had, didn't know. He thought he was That's retracing fair. steps. That's true. But either way, he is very disoriented. It's also frustrating because he literally just had this thought of, oh no, Will is influencing me, and now something doesn't seem right, but uh, it's fine to brush it off, which I am. Un I understand that magic is at work here. Yeah. So it's not necessarily his fault that he is not quite observing all of the signs, but it is frustrating because it feels very much like, Fitz, come on, like, obviously something is wrong. And I think even on my first read through, this made me really frustrated and just not quite anxious, but anxious because I, you know, something's coming and it, it just, the suspense is so, uh, so it's, gripping. Yeah, it's very heavy in, in the air, I guess you could say. Right. 
And there's this question of how long has Will been with me? And I don't know. Yeah, I don't think we'll ever know. And I don't think Fitz will ever know because Fitz is already paranoid when it comes to the coterie in general and especially Will. Right. So his own mind is, you know, clouding that judgment that he could possibly have about it. Right. And honestly, I'm also very paranoid about Will is cap- what Will is <laughs> capable of, so I read it into everything, too. Fitz is not alone. It's very hard to tell. But I definitely think, at the very least, when the guard was killed, that's when Will jumps in hard. Yes. Yeah, definitely. He scares him with the fake fear and then slithers in the back door. Yeah, and, and shows him what he wants to see because... Fitz is now very intent still on getting to Regal's bedchambers and not just escaping because he thinks he can't escape at this point. Right. And Regal, Regal's bedchambers are kind of being shown to him. Right. I do also want to point out that at first I was a little skeptical that he wouldn't notice something is wrong or that Will is doing something to him to make him think it's all or nothing. I'm going to find Regal's room, even if it kills me. But we've been spending the last several chapters with Fitz talking about how he knows he will probably die doing this. Yeah. So I guess in that sense, I do want to point out that part isn't necessarily influenced by Will. Right. That's I mean, that's Fitz's mindset. For the, the past, beginning. like, month. Yes, even <laughs> though months. he's been wavering a little bit, and you would hope that in the moment he would make the right choice and just leave and save himself, we know that Fitz doesn't usually make the best choices, especially under pressure. And especially because he thinks that there is no escape at this point since he's been found out. And yes. the keep has been alerted. So... He heads away from the serving quarter that he thought was on the first floor, but clearly isn't, and hits a T intersection, which is weird because he doesn't really remember seeing one of those, and it doesn't match the layout in his head. But when he looks to the right, there is a grand hallway with a beautifully ornate golden door with the tree symbol on it and clearly this is regal's doorway and when he hesitates to the left he hears people coming after him a mutter of angry voices from a room somewhere off to the left as if to spur me on Mm -hmm. and so he turns right drawing his knife he comes to the great double doors put his hands on the latch quietly expecting to find it locked tight Instead, the door gave easily and swung forward silently. It was almost too easy. I set those apprehensions aside and slipped in, knife drawn. The room before me was dark, save for two candles burning in silver holders on the mantelpiece. I slipped inside what was obviously Regal's sitting room. A second door stood ajar, revealing the corner of a magnificently curtained bed, and beyond it, a hearth with a rack of firewood laid ready in it. I pulled the drawer gently closed behind me and advanced into the room. On a low table, a carafe of wine and two glasses awaited Regal's return, as did a platter of sweets. The censer beside it was heaped with powdered smoke, waiting to be ignited on his return. It was an assassin's fantasy. 
I could scarcely decide where to begin. That, you see, is how it is done. And Fitz spins about, experiencing a dizzying sense of disorientation because he spins about and and sees him just Will sitting there in the middle of a well-lit but plain room that is not ornate. (laughs) That is not the double doors he just went through. Right. And Will is also drinking a nice glass of white wine, which I thought was an interesting detail. (laughs) As someone who also likes white wine. I just wanted to point that out. (laughs) (laughs) Carrot and Burl flanked him, wearing expressions of irritation and discomfiture. And Will says, go ahead, look behind you. And Fitz does. And it's six guards, not the ornate bedchamber that he had seen before. Right. I do kind of wonder what everyone else saw. Because (laughs) we know what Fitz saw. But... Essentially, he was, like, sneaking in and looking around at things that aren't there mm-hmm. and looking past people. And it kind of gives me the vibe of The Emperor's New Groove, where Kronk is, like, trying to sneak down the stairs. <laughs> and he, like, is up against the wall loudly singing as those two people walk past him and just ignore him. <laughs> it kind of gives me that vibe of yeah, yeah. Um, that's what it would look like to other people. <laughs> So Will has his evil monologue here and says, My companions seem to feel that a drenching of fear will ferret out any man, but they, of course, have not experienced your strength of will as completely as I have. I do hope you appreciate the finesse I used in simply assuring you that you were seeing exactly what you most wished to see. He gave a glance each to Carrot and Burl. He has walls the like of which you have never experienced. But a wall that will not yield to a battering ram can still be breached by the gentle twining of ivy. You would have been a worthy opponent, save that in your conceit you always underestimated me. Fitz is quiet. He's staring down the coterie, getting details of what they are like. All three of them, they have changed, according to Fitz here. Burl was once a well-muscled carpenter, but showed the effects of good appetite and lack of exercise. Carrot's attire outshone the man within it. And uh, Will had the greatest change. He was in a well-fitted, well-tailored, blue, dark blue garments. Made him seem richer than Carrot's costume. And his dark eyes, once so terrifyingly piercing... Only one remained. The other was sunken deep in its socket, showing cloudy in the depths like a dead fish in a dirty pool. He smiled at me as he saw me looking at it. He gestured at his eye. A memento of our last encounter, whatever it was that you threw into my face. A pity, I said quite sincerely. I had meant those poisons to kill Regal, not half-blind you. Will sighed lackadaisically. Another admission of treason, as if we needed one. Ah, well, we shall be more thorough this time. First, of course, we will spend a bit of time ferreting out just how you escaped death. A bit of time for that, and however much longer King Regal finds you amusing. 
He will have no need for either haste or discretion this time. He gave a minuscule nod to the guards behind me. I smiled at him as I set the poison blade of my knife to the, my left arm. I clenched my teeth against the pain as I dragged it down the length of my arm, not deeply, but enough to open my skin and let the poison from the blade into my blood. Will leaped to his feet in shock, while Carrot and Burl looked horrified and disgusted. I passed my knife to my left hand, drew my sword with my right. I'm dying now, I told them, smiling. Probably very soon. I've no time to waste and nothing to lose. So, everybody's a little shocked at Fitz's actions. It is not something they are expecting, which tells us that even though Will was in Fitz's mind, he could not quite see everything. I don't think Will was describing what Fitz would see with the skill. He was just telling him what you want to see is what is there. So I thought that was really interesting and a little insight. Well, yeah, and Will also says that these walls are like too strong for you to brute force your way in. So you just kind of have to insinuate things around them. Right. So we, we kind of know that Will can't force his way into Fitz's mind either. He just has to finesse him around. Mm-hmm. But in finessing, there are some cracks, essentially, right? So it is interesting to know that maybe they did know that he was coming to Regal's room, but they didn't know to what lengths Fitz would go to not be captured again. Fitz thinks that he has always underestimated Will and (laughs) makes an inane comment here that I can't help but talk about. He says, somehow I found myself facing not the Coterie members, but six guards with drawn blades. Fitz, you, you went to Tradeford Hall, which you knew was the heart of the king that you wanted to kill. Yep. And were scared of the Coterie members. Fair. You didn't expect to fight any guards? <laughs> no. You didn't expect there to be any guards brought along this if you were found out at all. How delusional are you about your chances of success and what you will find there? How how far did he convince himself that this was the proper thing and that he would poison Regal and die trying, but it would only be to the Coterie members or himself because he didn't want to be captured? You know, like, I don't under... Uh, I think he overestimates his bil- his assassin abilities. He does, for sure. And I, I know we've talked about that, too. Right. But he is good at what he does when he tries or has direction. Right. Definitely. But he doesn't really have direction here. It is just right. vengeance. And it's not really working out. He... I think is purposely not thinking about the guards because of the traumatic experience he lived through. But I think he's also really young and naive and thinks that revenge is easy and clearly getting to Regal will be easy because Regal has never wanted guards around him. Mm -hmm. Or at the very least, he's not thinking about Regal being heavily guarded, which has literally always been the case. Right. From like book one. I don't know. It is definitely a giant oversight on Fitz's part. But Mm -hmm. to be fair, I think the scarier 
prospect is the mental pain, not the physical, because Fitz has been a warrior for so long that maybe he just assumes he can get past it. I don't know. It's really hard to tell what he's thinking. <laughs> our our good old Fitzy boy. <laughs> yeah. He says, I had come here in the hope of killing Regal. I had barely succeeded in annoying his henchmen with my suicide. Suicide? Somewhere deep within me, Verity was horror-struck. Better than torture. Less than a whisper of skill on that thought. But I swear I felt Will go groping after it. And those few sentences right there really brings back to mind the end of Royal Assassin and his his thought process in the dungeon that he just wanted to end it so he would stop getting tortured. Right. And and that's what this is bringing about again. If he couldn't accomplish his task, he was not going to get caught again. Right. That's the whole point of this. That's that's why he was saying maybe his goodbyes to Night Eyes in his head, why he didn't want to bring the uh, Rolf and Holly into it or anything, because he didn't know if he would be able to get away scot-free, and that would be the uh, <laughs> the outside chance right. in his head. Best case scenario, that probably wouldn't happen. Right. It definitely shows how broken Fitz still is and kind of makes us feel more like it was always intended to be the end of a life than vengeance for right. the old one. Yeah. And that's so sad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's all he thinks. That's the best prospect he can think of. I don't know. I, this, I don't really blame him because what he has gone through is terrible. And I think the effects of that are really hard to get over. I don't. hundred percent. Yeah. I don't know what I would do in that situation. Thankfully, I probably will never have to know. But it's just so sad and heartbreaking to get to this point where Fitz is like, well, at least I won't have to go through that again. Mm-hmm. And this is kind of always the outcome he knew would happen if he did this. And he did it anyway. And it's really hard sometimes rooting for a hero who wants to bring about his own demise. So self-destructive in a lot of his habits, his emotions, and his actions in general. Right. And this is just the culmination of it all. Right. This is what Beric and Chade always admonished him about, of throwing away his life for the good of something else, even if it's not the right cause or action. Definitely. He's misguided. In, in a lot of things and his own thinking. He is a broken man. He wasn't raised properly. He was mistreated as a child and uh, severely mentally and physically mistreated as a young man. Yeah. And on top of all that, you mix magic in and everything's <laughs> kind of screwed up. Magic that is addictive. Yeah. Plus another magic that made him an animal for a little bit. So yeah. Things are just a little <laughs> bit... A little bit rough, to say the least. The ultimate escapism, you know, Uh from that messed up experience or experiences that he's had. Right. So Verity, Verity is skilling in like, hey, what is going on? I get out of there. Like, don't stay there. And Fitz is just like, no, let it happen. Don't reveal yourself to them. This is how it should be. And 
And this sets Verity off. Reveal myself? Verity's skill boomed suddenly in my mind, like thunder on a summer night, like storm waves shaking a shale cliff. I had seen him do this before. Angered, he would expend all of his skill strength in one effort, with no thought to what might befall him afterward. I felt Will hesitate, then plunge into that skilling, reaching after Verity and trying to leech onto him. Study this revelation, you nest of adders, my king let forth his wrath. Verdi's skilling was a blast, of a strength I had never encountered anywhere. It was not directed at me, but still I went to my knees. I heard Carrot and Burl cry out, guttural cries of terror. For a moment my head and perceptions cleared, and I saw the room as it has always been, with the guardsmen arrayed between me and the coterie. Will was stretched sen senseless on the floor. Perhaps I alone felt the great surge of strength that cost Verity to save me. The guards were staggering, wilting like candles in the sun. I spun, saw the door at my back as it opened to admit more guards. Three strides would carry me to the window. Come to me! There was no choice left for me in that command. It was impregnated with the skill it rode on, and it burned into my brain, becoming one with my breathing and the beating of my heart. I had to go to Verdi. It was a cry both of command and now of need. My king had sacrificed his reserves to save me. It's just too little too late. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was not nice of me. But Verity is doing Fitz a service here. Yeah. Fitz makes a comment of how he's not even bothering to think of what will happen to him after he uses all this strength wherever he is, which is Pot calling the kettle black because Fitz does that all the time. Fitz pulls that kind of move. It must be in the Farseer blood because clearly everyone in this line just does whatever it is that they think they need to do whenever they're angry without thinking about consequences. I'm glad Verity did this. Yeah, it does save Fitz. It does save Fitz, and that is important. But also, I wish Verity would have done something to save Fitz two books ago. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly he is capable of doing something on the verge of death to save Fitz. So I bet he would have been even better at it if he would have tried, I don't know, when the red ships first started attacking, whenever his brother tried to kill his brother-in-law, I don't know. Fitz was not in danger at that point. That was the kingdom. That was other things. Fitz was a tool at that time to help Verity in saving the kingdom. I guess. This was Fitz directly being killed or, you know, captured. Right. Well, and Verity was, being aware of it. Uh, he was yeah. not aware of it in the dungeons. <laughs> I know you were going to bring that up. <laughs> he, they they did not have a connection strong enough then. They right. were not skilled in there. Right. But it, it, it just is a little frustrating. While I'm very glad that this happened, it is frustrating to read for me because it makes me think of the dungeon. Where was, Ver where was Verity then? And I know that they didn't have a great connection and maybe he wasn't 100% sure what was going on, but surely he could have figured it out. He Struggling still walks. alone, walking on the skill road, keeping his mind not 
distracted at all. I know. <laughs> it just. I think Verity was going through a lot too. Verity, okay. I'm being very harsh to Verity. It just, I don't know if he's going to waste all his energy anyway. <laughs> I, it's. This is frustrating because of how close Fitz comes to being dead, I think. Mm -hmm. And in a way different than before, because before there is an out with Night Eyes and there is this hope of, well, surely it can't be this bad and something will happen and Fitz will get everything back to normal. But in here, it just feels so hopeless and... There is no escape until Verity comes. And I think it's sad that Fitz has to be to that dire of a need to get help from his loved ones. Although that's not fair because Burek did try to help in his own way and so did Jade. Like, mm-hmm. loved ones have tried to help him before. It just... Takes a magic overriding command to make him stop being self-destructive. Yes. yes. Yeah. <laughs> the, all of it is frustrating. I'm also frustrated at Fitz, but I feel a little bit worse for Fitz than I do for Verity at this moment. So, yes. taking it out on Verity. But Verity does save him. He Fitz does. jumps out the window and says... Uh, hoping He was hoping that there were some bushes below to break some of the fall. Instead, I slammed to the earth amid shards of glass a fraction of a moment labor, later. I had leaped, expecting to fall at least one story from a, from a ground, ground floor window. So, at least one story. So, you're kind of right in that there was probably at least three stories to this. Right. But he was on the second floor at that time. And then... Will made him go down to the first floor without him knowing it. Right. Yeah, it definitely... I don't know. Although if he was on the first floor when he... No. I don't know. I don't know. It's all confusing to me. I'm not going to try to think around it anymore. (laughs) I can't. I do not have the mental capacity. So he rushes out. He's knows he's not going to be able to escape the city on foot, so he has to go to the stables. He charges in. There is a uh, stable girl there that he kind of frightens, and she rushes off calling for hands. Hands, hands. And he, Fitz, goes over to the stables, finds a horse that he recognizes, which is Regal's horse, Arrow. The horse recognizes him as well, trusts him, because even though he hadn't seen him in like eight months or something like that, he had been with him since he was a foal, so gained trust, got up on Arrow, started to head out, and Hands was standing right in front of the horse, blocking him. I looked down at Hans's incredulous face. I had to grin at his shocked expression. Just me, Hans. Got to borrow a horse, or they'll kill me. Again. I think perhaps I expected him to laugh and wave me through. Instead, he just stared up at me going whiter and whiter until I thought he'd faint. It's me. Fitz. I'm not dead. Let me out, Hans. He stepped back. Sweet Ida, he exclaimed, and I thought surely he would throw back his head and laugh. Instead, he hissed. Beast magic. Then he spun and fled off into the night, bawling, Guards! Guards! I lost perhaps two seconds, gawking after him. I felt a wrench inside me such as I had not felt since Molly had left me. The years of friendship, the long day-in, day-out routine of stable work together, all washed away in a moment of his superstitious terror. It was unfair, but I felt sickened by his betrayal. 
Yeah, that's a bit of fair, unfair, but again, he, he wasn't privy to any of your secrets. He wasn't privy to anything of your life, Fitz. He thought you died. <laughs> Literally, what he's been surrounded with is people propaganda. saying... Yeah, propaganda saying, oh yeah, this guy died. We killed him because he attacked us with the wit. So it was proven that he had the wit, so he died, so it's not a big deal, whatever. When I first read through this book, I was always like, Hans is such a dick. <laughs> He's a friend to Fitz. He should have known better or whatever, and he betrayed him. Rereading it, every single time I reread it, I'm just like, Fitz, what are you thinking? Like, yeah, he's just seen a ghost. <laughs> yeah, literally. That's who he thought was his friend for a decade at least. And now here's his ghost of the guy that got accused of wit magic to somebody who doesn't really understand wit magic because who Fitz only never hears shared. The bad stories growing up right. of this is the wit, they can come back from the dead, they can transform into beasts and charm them. And it's got to be traumatic for Hans because he's like, this guy was in the stables with me. What was he doing to, like with the animals? Right. Yeah, it would definitely be scary. Well, I think it's really sad that this happens because I too would love it if Hans is like, oh, I I guess it is you, Fitz. Go ahead. Right, yeah. That'd be great. It I would love that. just makes no sense. No. This isn't that type of book, unfortunately. No, yeah. <laughs> Not the right type of fantasy. Um, <laughs> but it is really sad, and I do feel for Fitz here. 100%, yeah. Because he did lose a friend. But at the same time, how good of a friend is someone who you have never been your true self around and who you have lied to about almost every aspect of your life? Because it's not just the wit that Fitz was hiding from his friend hands. It was also half of his life, the assassin part. Yeah. Not that I don't understand, but you can't be that surprised when somebody who doesn't actually know you and has only been told rumors about you and the power that you have has now changed their mind on who you are because you didn't give them a firm ground to stand on in your right. friendship. And also it's, I mean, I understand it, but it's very naive of Fitz to think like, oh, now I lost my friend when he knew that his previous life had died. Right. He couldn't go back to anybody. He couldn't, you know, no right. one would believe him. Birk and Chade both told him like, you are dead. They will think you are just a beast magic guy and kill you again if you go back to them. Right. So while I understand it, that it's not, you know, not logical that Fitz kept that hope in his mind. It is very naive of him to have kept that hope that people that he was friendly with before would accept him now. Right. After he had been, quote unquote, killed. Yeah. And it makes me sad because I feel like Fitz uses this instance as a way to distance himself from people in the future to just assume that nobody could ever truly like him. Obviously, that is true based off Molly and Hans. And that nobody would ever accept the wit because of how hands reacted. And it's just Fitz's ability to take anything and make it so black or white that really frustrates me. I wish mm -hmm. he could see the gray, but unfortunately he doesn't work that way. So right. this becomes more of a big deal than it should be. 
Although I understand the hurt and pain and I definitely feel for Fitz in this moment. Yeah. So Fitz is on Arrow, leaves, gets out of the gate, goes through Tradeford, the city, and starts heading out through it. But it holds one more horror for him to learn and to see and witness. Fitz enters what had once been the great circle market of Tradeford, but it has now turned into the King's Circle, the temporary one, the one that they have been using. I only knew that as I rode through the great open circle of the market, Arrow snorted at the smell of old blood on the cobbles under his hooves. Their old gallows and whipping posts were there, elevated for the benefit of the crowd with other mechanical devices whose uses I had no wish to understand. And as he's riding through this, he has a twist of feeling writhe through the air, wrap itself around Fitz's thoughts, and bent them. At first he thinks it's Will reaching with the skill, but no, this was worse. This came from a deeper, more primal source, as insidious as clear water that was poisoned. It flowed into me, Hatred and pain and stifling claustrophobia and hunger all rolled into one dreadful longing for freedom and revenge. It reawakened everything I had ever felt in Regal's dungeons. It came from the cages. There were insane beasts and creatures kept to savage human criminals and forged ones that Regal threw to them. They're all tortured, they're all beaten, they're all frenzied in different ways. And these are big animals, bears and tigers and a bull, a bull. It's a lot. And and Fitz says that if he had a pick or anything like that to open up these cages, he would. He would open up all of them. But he he doesn't. He doesn't have the time. If he had meat or grain, he would poison it and give it to them. Yeah. He wants to help them. And the only thing really stopping him is Verity's command. I could not leave them behind, he says. But come to me, the command surged through me, skill graven. It was not endurable to disobey it. So he leaves them behind. And I think this is really sad, but I think in this instance... It saves him again. It saves him again. Because he would have been caught. And... That would have been worse for him because I 100% believe that if he had gotten this far and hadn't been skilled to come to Verity super strongly, he would have taken his time here. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I do also want to clarify that earlier when Luke was reading from the book and said that they smelled the old blood, it is lowercase o. This is just blood that is old, not capital O, old blood, people, blood. And... In the cages are just animals. Mm-hmm. There are no people. And so he continues on, riding through this circle, getting away from it as fast as he can with that skill command in his head. And he's thinking here that... He's thinking back on the the reaction that Hans had to him. I found myself glad I had not yielded to the temptation to track Molly down. It was hard enough to see that horror and disgust in the face of a friend. I never wanted to see it in her eyes. And throughout all of that, throughout all of his wanting to go back to the animals, thinking about these horrible things that come to me is still 
a litany in his head just repeating itself. That drive to go forward. And yet still, he has enough mind that he can stop and drink and... Let the horse rest. Let the horse rest. And while he's drinking, he notices that he's not dead. He looks down at his arm that he cut. And it's swollen and angry, and there's a red line there, but it doesn't seem that poisoned. And he recalls that he killed two people with that knife and wiped it off once. So there probably wasn't enough poison on there to kill him, you know, anyways. Right. Like a morning dawning, hope suddenly gleamed for me. They'd be looking for a dead man. They'd be looking somewhere behind, and he kind of realizes what he has to do, and he turns Arrow loose towards Tradeford. Right. He gets away a little bit further, lets Arrow, like, get watered up, and then says, hey, go back to the stables. Because if they find a empty horse coming back that he had stolen, quote-unquote, then obviously he hadn't gotten far, and he was probably dead somewhere because he literally said out loud to them, I just poisoned myself, basically. Right, and he believed it at the time, so there was no reason for them not to think he truly had. Also, it's interesting to see Fitz start to puzzle things out again to thinking of the future. He thinks about how they would be expecting him to go back south towards Buckkeep, most likely, anyway. And so that's why he's going the direction he did. He's staying off main roads because eventually anybody coming into a town is going to be questioned. So he has to stay away from that. He's really thinking ahead to the future, which is nice to see again, <laughs> especially when it's not tied up with killing Regal right. and self-destruction. So he shouts at Arrow, stomps him off, and... Hears, come to me, the command still echoing through his head. I am, I am, I muttered to myself, after I hunt for something to eat and get some sleep, but I'm coming. He knows that his winter clothes, his pack that he hid before are all in town, he can't go back to them. He just has whatever he has on his back. The yellow shirt, the green trousers, sword and a knife, and that's it. At least he has weapons to protect himself, I guess. Right, right. But, yeah going to be a little cold without a blanket or warm clothes. So I would say Fitz is a little more annoyed than happy at the end of this week. But he's hopeful. This is, you know, something that he hasn't really had for a while. You think he's hopeful? I mean, he says he has some hope in his head. He has some hope that he can escape. He has a directive to do. Um, I know he's probably chagrined at what has happened and what the effort cost his king and everything like that, because Fitz and, you know, Beric as well live in guilt, and he learned that from Beric, basically. But I think he's, you know, he has a drive now. He has something to aim for. That's fair, I guess. I I still worry about him. (laughs) (laughs) The worrying never stops. That's true, it is Fitz. Well, thank you so much for tuning in this week, listening to us ramble about things, talk about stealth games <laughs> and maze houses. <laughs> and over at analyze every single instance that Fitz starts thinking about killing Regal. True, true. If you have any thoughts on when 
Will might have been directing him towards us or anything like that, please let us know, isfitshappy at gmail.com. Or talk to us directly at isfitshappy at Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. We look forward to hearing your tinfoil hat theories. All right, it's my favorite time. Free flow form with <laughs> with listener thoughts. <laughs> You're really struggling to find like some intro for this, I, aren't you? <laughs> honestly, it's really hard to think of one. I don't know. But, you know, it is what it is. Everybody gets to be surprised every week, just like me, <laughs> when something comes out of my mouth. So <laughs> here we are. Uh, this week, we're going to start off talking about a DM we got on Instagram. This is from Nicholas. And Nicholas told us that they have a very interesting theory about the witness stones. So they had listened to our episode 14 when we talked about witness stones and wondering why the six duchies folks view any judgment done there is coming down from the gods. And they proposed that perhaps the reason is that in the past, people went to the judgment stones to travel to elderling cities to get judgment or the elderlings held council at the stones so they didn't really have to travel that far. And that as time passed and the elderlings disappeared, people just associated that travel and that being there with some sort of judgment happening. And that it's just been very watered down from such a long time without elderlings. Yeah, which, that's, that's cool. Yeah, um, I love that idea. Uh, if it's not canon, it is now in my mind. So <laughs> <laughs> I was I really found this to be a cool and fun idea of why people would have associated so much judgment and yeah. nice evolution to yeah. everything. Yeah. So I like that explanation. Uh, thank you so much, Nicholas, for giving us that really cool idea. Mm-hmm. And um, if anybody else ever has any fun ideas, feel free to share them with us. I love them. Even if some of them are more far-fetched than others. See, I always kind of thought that it was similar to what Nicholas was saying, but with Taker being from the Out Islands the, and the runes on the skill pillars being almost exactly to God's runes, the islands, oh, they yeah. thought these were like God stones kind of thing. So they went there traditionally for judgments and that kind of just developed from there. Yeah. they're They're both just like a... I don't know, an evolution from a historical practice into a watered-down thing. True. No, it's definitely something that is a little confusing that isn't super touched on, Um, so it is fun to guess at why things may be that way. Thank you, Nicholas. And then we have some emails um, from Tyler. First off, I want to thank them for emailing in these thoughts. So the first one is about Beric Swift and the legacy of Fitz. So this specifically goes into kind of p- plot-heavy <laughs> stuff that happens yes. later on with the cycle of Fitz and Molly's and Beric's relationship and the relationship between Fitz and the family and like Beric and Molly's family and all of that and how 
how Beric's harshness on Swift, his witted son, yes, stemmed from uh, Fitz dying from the wit, or like mm. getting lost in the wit of what we had discussed earlier in the uh, in an episode of what I think you said, Emma. Yes, this is when uh, we. We don't know in book yet that Burek thinks Fitz is dead, right. but when Fitz fought the Witted One, we talked about how he the, will the know, Forged One, the Forged yeah. One. Thank you. That Burek will see that and think it is Fitz, and I touched on how that's probably why he and Swift butt uh, heads a lot more. Yes, because it it killed Fitz, yeah, as far as Burek knows. Burek takes the blame for that because he lost lost Fitz to the Wit, basically, into yes. being an animal. An animal, and Beric made him do that. Yep. So Tyler is saying that that is what would probably lead to the splitting apart of Beric and Molly's family. Right. Because Beric is so harsh on Swift. Swift was already running away. Beric would probably be drinking more and more. And even though Fitz caused that rift unintentionally... But the reaction to Fitz's quote-unquote death caused Beric to start down that more abusive path. His return kind of fixes it, in a way. Right. When when Beric learns that Fitz is alive, that he didn't die during that point, it kind of breaks him because he's treating Swift this way the whole time. And during that whole journey, he learns more about the old blood and all that kind of thing and the accepting communities. And, and even though Fitz is the driving factor of them splitting, it's kind of necessary for him to come back around and fix it. And it's a nice little like cyclical pattern there. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. It also touches on how this choice ruins his relationship with Nettle for most of her life. It isn't until much later that she learns the reasoning behind Fitz leaving and then she fully accepts that and accepts him as her father. Mm -hmm. And it really is just this pattern of messaging that Hob has that giving someone the whole picture to look at is better than letting them live in the lie of good intentions. Yep. Yeah, and that's a, a major point that Tyler thinks Hobb is writing about, and yes. it does make sense, and that does pop up again and again as well. Right. That miscommunication and not having all of the plans and thoughts really leads to a lot of bad situations and relationships. Right. Especially the idea of keeping a loved one out of the loop to protect them, not even giving them the choice to choose to stay or leave or whatever it is that they need a choice for. You're not giving them that information. You're making the choice for them. And it always ultimately has a negative impact. Yeah. So thanks for that email there. And yes. the other one that Tyler sent is about the relationship between Night Eyes, Ketrickin, and Fitz. Yes. Another interesting topic. Yes. So I I am a, one of the, the people of the opinion that Ketrickin could have been a great partner for Fitz. I think I agree with Night Eyes in this sense, but Tyler is bringing up some thoughts, maybe some inconsistencies within the writing that I think I can address some of them. Um, Specifically, they are talking about how they're rereading 
royal assassin and that they were struck by that it's night eyes warning fits not to develop feelings for Ketrikin due to him and Verity's spirits intertwining. And when later on in the series, Fitz will remark, and Night Eyes as well, how much he loved Ketrikin and how much he would have chosen her as a mate for Fitz. So Tyler's wondering what our thoughts are on that. And before I, there's more to this email, but before we move on, I kind of want to establish that I think that's getting the details a little bit wrong. From what I remember in Royal Assassin is Night Eyes saying, don't get close to Ketrikin because that is like the pack leader's mate. That is not your mate. I thought that's what the whole thing was about. So I don't think it was like, it's because you and Verity, you're, like, you're skilled together or whatever. It's like, don't... Like, this. there's a pack hierarchy to right. everything. And that's what I thought it was mainly about. Because at that point in Royal Assassin, Night Eyes is still really young. He doesn't understand human relationships in general, even right. friendships or anything. It's all down to pack. Yeah. And so I... I don't remember the exact chapter or wordings, but I seem to recall that's what it was about mainly of just like saying, hey, don't get involved with this female. Go to your own female. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I guess I don't have a super strong opinion either way, because if I'm being super honest, I thought Night Eyes was the one who liked Ketrick and more and had zero recollection of him telling Fitz not to <laughs> like her. So I haven't thought about this at all in a in-depth sort of way, but it is a interesting thought process that he would say, don't get involved yeah. because I know later he loves her so mm -hmm. much. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's what Tyler's also asking here. So they say, so I'm wondering what your thoughts are on that. Is it just that Hob hadn't fully thought through what Ketrikin and Night Eyes' relationship was going to be? Or perhaps it was just that Night Eyes hadn't had time to develop a connection with her until later on. Or maybe since Fitz and Night Eyes hadn't fully bonded the way they would in Assassin's Quest and the other books of the series, Fitz's feelings for Ketrikin hadn't bled over onto Night Eyes. As Fitz would later say, him and Night Eyes weren't just partners, they were a complete unit. So for me, I know, I remember specifically a lot of the bonding that Night Eyes and Ketra can have is at the end of this book, Assassin's Quest. Mm -hmm. Yes, Fitz and Night Eyes haven't been bonded like fully together, and maybe it's a little bit of bleeding over of Fitz's uh, love and admiration for Ketrikin in what he insists to be a platonic way all the time. But I, I really think it's the end of this book that really solidifies Night Eyes like, hey, you and her would be good together kind of thing because right. she and him, with, with her fledgling wit connection, he kind of takes care of Ketrikin. They go right. hunting and she can be alone but, and yet with somebody the whole time. And Night, Night Eyes is there protecting her right. and they go hunting and they're successful and, and he's you know, admires her stalking and hunting abilities and everything like that. But they, they spend a significant amount of time at the quarry just watching Verity work. Right. Like, it's not just overnight, even though in my head it kind of is a weird time description again yes. that Hob does. <laughs> but I think it, it it's a quite a while. And I think with the journey up and and that specific time in the quarry when Ketrikin was going through that rough time, they bonded a lot. 
So I think that's that's mainly the the catalyst for Night Eyes's change of opinion and feelings, hmm. specifically the journey on the way up and at the quarry. But that's so interesting because as I'm thinking about it more, I would think the change in Night Eyes' opinion comes from Verity dying. I guess I don't know if dying is the right word because he kind of no, yeah, is yeah. absorbed. I but can see that too. With the he is a pack leader. Yes, he isn't <laughs> an obstacle anymore. Right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, so, I can understand that. So I kind of feel like it goes hand in hand with mine. Yeah, it doesn't have anything to do with Ketrikin as a person or whether or not she would be a good match for Fitz. At first, potentially, this is just the leader's mate, and you don't mate with the leader's mm-hmm. mate whether or not she would be perfect for you because that's not how the hierarchy works. And so I think if we're sticking to that idea, it would make sense that he changes his mind because Verity's gone. Or at the very least, if Verity is still around, it's very clear he won't be for much longer. Right. So it's more of a, well, (laughs) (laughs) you could be pack leader now if you wanted. But I understand why Fitz would shy away from this. Tyler does make the comment that Ketrikin is the only person Fitz kisses multiple times in the book without mentioning any romantic feelings any of the times. Everybody else, even the fool gets kind of romantic-esque descriptors of kisses, except for when the fool gives Fitz his memories back from Mm -hmm. Girl on Dragon. But I wonder if that's because Fitz has put up a barrier in his mind of not my girlfriend. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Yeah. This is, this is Verity's woman, whether or not Verity's queen, alive. This is Verity's woman. Yeah. Yes. So even though it's a little silly to think about Night Eyes thinking of a hierarchy, <laughs> so he can't date, Fitz also kind of has that tendency of like. I mean, we've talked about before. Yeah. He is, he's, he's very loyal. and yeah. a wolf. Yeah. And also, why would Ketrikin like him in his mind? <laughs> Tyler makes a funny comment here. He says, he always says it's platonic or for Verity gives Fitz the side eye. <laughs> he doesn't even do that with the fool, except for the one time the fool kisses him to give him his memories back from Girl on a Dragon. I don't know. So, yeah. It's it's such a complicated relationship. And I think it's also hard for me to talk about in any confidence because I did not read a platonic relationship into them uh, until... Platonic or, or sorry, a romantic? a romantic relationship between Fitz and Ketrikin until Ketrikin at the very last book of the series goes, hey, I liked you for like forever. And Fitz is like, what? And I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> Surprise Pikachu face. Excuse me, what? <laughs> I know a lot of people don't have the picture of those two together, mainly because Ketrikin is his aunt. But yeah. like. <laughs> She's three years older than him. Yeah, not by blood. And she's only three years older than him. And I always thought that they had a much better rapport in the first couple chapters that they knew each other than anyone else that Fitz was with. Okay. (laughs) Well, Well. except for the the fool. But, like, the fool and uh, Fitz fight a lot more about a lot more stupid things. Right. They're like an old married couple. Aggressively than, (laughs) yeah, I don't know. (laughs) I guess I don't know. I... I genuinely don't know. I never saw her as a potential romantic partner for Fitz. And thinking back, I'm not really sure why not. She's beautiful. Fitz thinks she's beautiful. It's because you were all into the Molly thing. That's true. And you didn't latch on to all the beautiful descriptors that 
Fitz gave well, to Ketrick. It really. is really easy to write them off as yeah. Verity's thoughts. <laughs> right, right. So, like, maybe, if it, I mean, and you can think someone's beautiful and not have a, like, yeah, a, a crush real crush or, or like a non substantial crush. Yeah. You know, so I don't know. But you were all into the Molly Fitz. So. I know. I still kind of am, but. I know that it's not a super healthy relationship. It's super toxic for each other right now. Definitely. But whatever. I don't know. I I do kind of like that. The more I think about Ketrick and Fitz together, especially reading at this time, knowing that there are some underlying feelings potentially on both sides. I don't know. I kind of like it. I think it's a cute pairing. I don't think that they would be bad together. No, I think, but... it, I think it more blossoms out in the Tawny Man trilogy. Yeah. Of at least... From Ketrickin's side, Fitz, of course, is Fitz and remains oblivious to everything until the very last book, very last, like, chapter. So, yes, just but, like my dear Emma over here. <laughs> I know. I I give Fitz so much crap for not realizing the most obvious of things. But turns out I am much the same way when it comes to Fitz's love life. So <laughs> we both are blinded by Molly, I guess. <laughs> Thanks so much, Tyler, for emailing in. And if, again, if any of you guys have any topics or thoughts you guys want to discuss with us, let us know. Isfitshappy at gmail.com. We love hearing from you, even when they have nothing to do with chapters that we're currently on. We love all of the theories. 